How is everybody? Good, good, yeah. Glad you guys are here. Um, thanks for not going out of town on spring break and coming to church, so thank you for that. Uh, anyways, we've been working through the book of Acts, and if you're new here, this is what we do. We go through whole books of the Bible, and we break them down chapter by chapter and verse by verse, line by line. Um, we are in an extremely interesting chapter. I know I say that every week. I think it's because I think every chapter is interesting, but this one's extremely interesting, and you'll see later on as we get into it. But we're in chapter 19 this week. Now, if you have a Bible, this is the fifth book of the New Testament, okay? If you downloaded the app already that we just opened up, which is extremely convenient, all the notes in the Scripture are on there under sermon notes, so services and then sermon notes. It's extremely handy, by the way. Please download that. Very, very good tool. But where we're at in the story is this. A guy named Paul that we've been following for quite some time, and I'll show you some fancy maps here in a second to kind of let you know where we are geographically. But this guy, Paul, has traveled and he does three big missionary trips. We've already wrapped up two of them and we're on his third missionary trip. Now, what he's done is he's gone all the way across what is modern-day Turkey. He, he's, his hometown is southeastern Turkey, a city called Antioch. He travels across Turkey he goes into Greece. He started all these churches all throughout Greece as he's worked his way down. Last week, we were in a city called Corinth. We talked about a city called Corinth, which is in kind of south-central Greece. And he starts a church there. That's where we get the, the, the book of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Those are letters written to that church. And we met three new individuals. We met a man named Apollos, who was an extremely important Christian leader in the first century, and we met a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And so we talked about these three individuals last week and how there's just these really fundamental things that these three did that if we would adopt, make us extremely effective as Christians. Not that God loves us any more or any less on how effective we are, but if we do these simple things, if we know these simple things, we're able to have better relationships and we're ready to serve our community better and we're ready to love people in a better way. That's what we learned from them last week. Now, at the end of last week's lesson, Paul would have traveled all the way from Greece all the way across Turkey again and back to his hometown before he goes back out again. And that's where we're going to be talking a little bit today. Now, man, today's lesson is fun. Here's what we're going to talk about today, that we need to rid ourselves of evil because we love God and we want to be able to be the light in the darkness. Now, it's going to make a lot of sense. I know that sounds very vague right now, but as we get into chapter 19, we're only going to do about a half of it. We're going to go to, to, to verse 20. It is an extremely interesting chapter where we get into extremely interesting theological questions, right? And so I think you're going to enjoy it. It's very interesting. And... Um, I think you'll have fun with it, okay? So you should have a notes handout in front of you. Again, if you have the app, all the sermon notes are on there. If you have your Bible, we're in the fifth book of the New Testament, the 19th chapter. And again, I'll read it and break it down, and everything will be on the screens. Everything's on the app. Everything is in your notes, okay? So pretty convenient, and we can follow along, all right? So I'm going to pray. We'll dive into this. And again, I, I, I think you'll be intrigued by this. It's a pretty interesting lesson, okay? All right. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. I want to thank you, Lord, for everyone in this room this morning, God. Uh, on a serious note, all the people who are traveling for spring break, God, I pray that you keep them safe and get them back safely, Lord. And I'm looking forward to next weekend as we celebrate your resurrection, God, and we can all come back together and, and celebrate the whole reason why we're here, God. Um, Lord, we pray for every church in our community. 
We pray, God, for every non-believer in this room and every believer in this room that we would be open-minded, that we would come with an objective mindset and looking to learn and looking to dig into the Scripture. God, challenge us today and help us to understand you better, Lord. God, we love you and uh, we thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, here we go, guys. This is a, a roller coaster of a, of a chapter. While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Into what were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one that would come after him, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy. Now, there were about 12 men in all. Okay, now before we get into that, let me show you where we are geographically. Like I said, Paul started off in Antioch, southeastern, what would be modern-day Turkey, okay? He travels all the way across Turkey, crosses the Aegean Sea, goes into Greece, and last week we hung out in Corinth, where that second circle is. Now, this is a lot of traveling, right? He goes all the way back to Antioch, and then he goes back across Turkey again to the western coast to an area called Ephesus. That's where we get the book Ephesians, okay? So we're going to focus on this geographical area this weekend, and I'm going to go back to this map in a little bit later and show you a little bit more about the broader area that he was in, okay? But let's get to this. So trip number three for Paul. While Apollos was in Corinth, Greece, Paul traveled to Ephesus, and when he got there, he met some disciples of John the Baptist. Good man, right? We know Jesus said John the Baptist was one of the greatest men that had ever lived, and they were disciples of John the Baptist, but they didn't know a lot about Jesus yet. And Paul answers, or asks, I'm sorry, a very interesting question. He says, have you men received the Holy Spirit since you believed? Now, the reason why that's an interesting question is because Paul later writes to the church in Ephesus that when one genuinely believes in Jesus and accepts Christ as their Savior, that they are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So it almost looks like we have a contradiction in Scriptures. These men believed, so we assume, but they don't have the Holy Spirit. What the heck's up with that, right? Here's what's up with that. Ephesians 1.13 says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit when we hear the message of the gospel. These men hadn't heard the entire gospel yet. So these men were disciples of John, so they only knew about Jesus in very vague terms. They didn't know the story of the gospels. They didn't know the story of Acts. So in order for them to be filled with the Holy Spirit, they had to have, as Ephesians 1.13 says, the message of truth and the gospel of their salvation taught to them. So they didn't have the Holy Spirit because they were unaware that the Holy Spirit even existed. They had to be made knowledgeable of those things. So here's a problem that we still deal with in modern day Christianity. A lot of people believe that our faith ends with belief that that's the conclusion of our faith, and it's not. It's just the launching pad of our faith. These men believed that there was a Messiah, 
but they were ignorant of the Holy Spirit. They were ignorant of the proper way to respond to Jesus. So not only in the book of Acts, but there's a narrative throughout the entire New Testament of how we are to respond to a belief in Jesus. Whenever someone says, well, I believe in Jesus, fantastic. The demons in hell believe in Jesus as well, according to James, and they're in hell. So just belief is not enough. There must be a response that goes along with a genuine belief. And all throughout the New Testament, the response is is pretty clear, that we are to repent, ask for forgiveness, and change the way we do things, right? That we're to be baptized, and that we are to be a willing residence for the Holy Spirit, that we are to be willing to let God's Spirit live in us, work through us, that we are an instrument of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty simple. So when the disciples of John heard the full gospel, the whole picture about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, instantly they said, well, let's be baptized, not from just John's baptism. We want to be baptized into Jesus's name. Now, this isn't the condoning of multiple baptisms. I'm not saying that multiple baptisms are even wrong. I don't think God gets mad at you for recommitting your life, but we don't always have to do that. But in this instance, these men had never been baptized properly, which means they didn't have the proper knowledge of baptism yet. That's why when we baptize people here, I give the same spiel that some of you guys have heard a million times, but I don't want anyone to get into the waters of baptism without knowing the gospel and knowing why they're doing that. Same thing with Paul here, and these men were baptized, okay? So here's what happens, right? And this is just the beginning of of the the interesting conversation we're going to have today. Similar to when the first non-Jews heard about Jesus, Similar to Acts chapter 2, when God first poured out his Holy Spirit, Paul laid his hands on these men and they started speaking in tongues. Now, some churches, including the church I got saved in, misconstrued what this said and they took it to mean that you don't have the Holy Spirit unless you've spoken in tongues. And that's what some churches teach. Now, this does not mean that you do not have the Holy Spirit unless you speak in tongues. That is not good theology. That's not biblical. Ephesians 1.13, when we believe, we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. So these three instances, 2.10 and chapter 19, were unique events to prove to people audibly, right? They could hear it. It proved to people audibly that they did have God's Spirit that they were invited into the family of Christ, okay? That's why it happened at those times. Now, some people go the other way. Some people say, well, you have to do it or you're not saved. Some people say that those things no longer exist, and that's also not true. So the infilling of the Holy Spirit happens when we genuinely when we genuinely converse, right? When we have our conversion and when we are regenerated, it's not a separate event. Whenever, you ever hear people say that? Well, they're saved, but they're not you know, filled with the Spirit. How does one get to heaven without having Jesus' Spirit, right? So we are filled with His Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit in us at the time when we give our life to Christ. Now, the manifestation of speaking in tongues may be a part of that. I'll freak out some of you in this room. The day I gave my life to Jesus, I spoke in tongues. That does not mean that everyone has to do that. Not only that, that's not even the norm, I believe. Here's the thing when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and there's several of these, right? There's tongues, there's interpretation, there's prophecy, wisdom, knowledge, courageous faith, healings, all these different things that happen. What we need to do when it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
and, and, and again, you correct me if I'm wrong, if you're a theologian, there's only two of them that the Bible says that we do need to actively seek out, wisdom and prophecy. The rest of the gifts of the Spirit, we need to just trust God, because they all came from the same source, we need to pray and be a willing vessel and say, God, I trust you. Whatever gifts you want to give me, whenever you want to give them, I just want to be used. That's where we need to be when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We need to be humble and say, God, you give me whatever giftings I need whenever I need those things. Listen, don't be afraid of the Holy Spirit. Be knowledgeable about the Holy Spirit. Paul said this to the church in Corinthians. Don't be ignorant about it. Be knowledgeable about it. Don't be afraid of it. It's fine. It's biblical. Everyone's okay. You're awfully quiet. All right? Corey speaks in tongues, right? Yeah, everyone's like freaked out now, right? Okay. Moving on. It, it gets weirder, right? Here we go. So Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way in front of the crowd, he withdrew from them taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. This went on for two years, so that all of the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands, so that even the face cloths and aprons that had touched his skin were brought to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Like I said, it gets crazy here. So if you have not been with us, Paul's normal pattern of ministry is he would go to a city, he'd first go to the Jews, not because he loved Jews any more than he loved anyone else, but the Jewish people would have been, theoretically, the most receptive to the knowledge of Jesus, okay? So he would go to the synagogues, and in Ephesus, he went to the synagogue and he preached for three months without any incidents. Now, if you've been with us for any length of time, you know that the, the, the norm with Paul is he goes to the synagogue, preaches, and he usually gets the snot kicked out of him, right? Or like kicked out of a town or his friends get beat up or something bad happens. So he goes for three months, which is a record for Paul. He's probably like, whoa, what's happening here? And he doesn't get beat up yet. But what does eventually happen is the Jews that do not receive Jesus start slandering the gospel. They start slandering Paul and Jesus. Now, I use the terminology, the way. Are, are there any of you old enough in the room to remember there was a cult in the 1970s called the way? Does anyone remember that? A couple of you? Yeah. So the way was actually the original title for Christians before they were called Christians. That comes from Jesus' phrase when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? So they called them the way, and obviously this was still used in Ephesus. So what happened was this. Though some of the Jews rejected Paul, he took the ones that accepted Jesus, and he essentially started a school. He went to a very famous debate hall, named after a guy who was a famous Greek debater, and he conducted teachings every single day. And Luke records kind of an exaggeration. It's not that Luke's a liar or that the Bible is wrong, but Luke exaggerates a little bit. And he says, all of the residents of Asia Minor heard the gospel. Now, they all didn't hear the gospel. What he meant was all of the people, let me show you, I'll show you the geographical area. He meant that all the people in this geographical area had the opportunity to hear the gospel. There was no excuse 
for anyone in this geographical area to have not heard the gospel because Paul taught it every single day in a classroom setting for free. Now, this, this geographical area is important biblically. This is for you geeks in the room that like to visualize stuff like I do. So when you get into the New Testament, a large part of the New Testament is focused on churches in Asia Minor. Asia Minor. This would be the western side of Turkey, modern-day Turkey. This and the, the first three books of Revelation, uh, the first three books of Revelation focus on seven churches. They're all in that circle right there. The church of Laodicea, which is a little infamous in the Bible. The church of Philadelphia and Thyatira and Smyrna. We get the book of Ephesians from Ephesus in this area. We get the book of Colossians from this area. A lot of emphasis on this geographical area right there, okay? So that's where we're hanging out right now. So in this geographical area, here's where it gets interesting. God was doing some extraordinary miracles. The gospel was spreading very, very rapidly, and what accompanied that were these very extraordinary miracles, that different uh, handkerchiefs, face cloths, or aprons, things that had touched Paul's skin were being given to sick people and demonically possessed people, and they were being delivered of sickness and delivered of demonic power, right? So God was using these inanimate objects to deliver people. Now, like the speaking in tongues, it's not that it can't happen, but it's sometimes a little bit more uncommon. Now, God can do anything. Can we pray over a handkerchief and you give that to someone with cancer and they be healed? Of course God can do that. Is it common? No, it's not. Methods like that don't happen a lot. Now, when it comes to miraculous things, we need to be cautious with this. I believe in the miraculous. I've seen miraculous things. But when it comes to churches focusing on miracles more than the gospel, we need to take a step back and we need to be very leery of that. You guys heard of churches doing this? It all focuses around some kind of miraculous act, right? Gold dust falls from the ceiling. Oddly enough, always close to the air, condi air conditioning ducts. But anyways, these things happen, right? That was Corey's passive-aggressive sarcasm there, sorry. So you hear of churches that are completely built on these miracles? Here's the thing about biblical miracles. There are no superfluous miracles in the Bible. God is not a magician that shows up and entertains you. He's God, right? And so whenever God did miraculous things in the Bible, it served a purpose. And the majority of those purposes were to show the gospel, to point people back to God. So whenever miraculous things happen, we need to do a couple of things. First, we need to make sure that those miracles align with the character and nature of God. The second thing we need to do is we need to see if those miracles inevitably and, and eventually point to Jesus. If those miracles are out of character for God, like gold dust or feathers, if those, if those things are out of character for God, or if they don't point to Jesus, they're probably not godly miracles. They might be something supernatural, but maybe not from the source that we would like it to be from. Okay, so we need to test those things and be knowledgeable about those things, and then we move on to sorcery, right? So here we go. And this is where it gets really interesting, guys. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I command you by the Jesus that Paul preaches. Let me pause there for a second. If you are going to pray for someone, don't pray 
you know, like using the God that your friend worships, right? Like, hey, I'm going to pray for you in the name of the friend of the God that, you know, it's like, no, you should have a relationship with him, right? The seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. The evil spirits answered them, I know Jesus, I recognize Paul, who are you? Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they ran out of the house naked and wounded. When this became known to everyone who lived in Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, they became afraid, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high esteem. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices, while many of those who had practiced magic collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. So they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver. In this way, the word of the Lord flourished and prevailed. Now again, this is where it gets extremely interesting. There were some Jewish sorcerers, Jewish mystics. They saw the power of the Holy Spirit that Paul was blessed with, right? That he had the authority to use. They saw that these inanimate objects were delivering people of demons and healing people. And they were like, wow, we want to be able to command evil spirits out of people. So we'll just start using Jesus's name and we'll start doing our own thing, right? So what we see here is a bunch of self-serving individuals who try to manipulate the power of God for their benefit. You know those clowns at three o'clock in the morning that tell you to put your hand on the screen and send in 1995 and God will do something? Those guys have been around literally for like 2,000 years, right? Long before even television existed, we had these charlatans and you had these people who were self-serving who tried to manipulate the power of God. It's been going on for a long time. So Ephesus, this city, remember this, because I'll get back to this at the end of the lesson. The city of Ephesus would have been heavily immersed in the occult, heavily immersed in demonology and things that were very, very dark. And so the seven sons of Sceva, this group, they were similar to like Kabbalah. Does anyone, there are any Madonna fans in here, right? She was big into Kabbalah, right? No one wants to admit that they were a Madonna fan. It's cool, right? <laughs> so anyways... <laughs> There's still this blend of Jewish mysticism today. If you go to Israel today, there's a, a group of, of Jewish people that will meet you in the airport that have red ribbons. They, they study Kabbalah. And they, it's this blend of Jewish Old Testament and mysticism sorcery. It still happens today. So these individuals, they saw that the name of Jesus was powerful, and they thought that they would invoke this name in their incantations. Now, this sounds crazy to us, doesn't it? How many people, though, do you know in your life that live like hell, dabble in things that are evil 99% of the time, but when it looks advantageous, they're quick to use the name of Jesus? That's some of your friends. I'm not trying to be a jerk. I've done it. I, I remember times in my life living, doing whatever the heck I want to do, but whenever I needed Jesus, I'm like, hey, Jesus, I need you for a second. Guys, let's, let's, let me humble ourselves for a second. Jesus is not Santa Claus. Jesus is God, right? And you don't snap your fingers, say his name, and he shows up and drops off presents for you. That's not the way Jesus works, right? He's God, you're his creation, and we are to be humble and subservient to him, 
not the other way around. But for some reason, in modern day North American Christianity, we think we can live like the devil 99% of the time. And whenever we need Jesus, come on, Jesus. And that's just not the way it works. It's not the way it works. So here's what happens. Um, we learn that apparently messing with the demonic while not having the Holy Spirit can be uh, quite dangerous, right? That's what we see here. I love this conversation. Imagine this. There's seven guys standing there. There's this demonically possessed guy there and they're like, ooh, Jesus name, right? And they're trying to do this. And the demonic guy goes, looks at him and goes, okay, look, I know Jesus, right? Because all demons lived in heaven at one time. I don't know if you know that or not. Demons are a third of heaven that was booted out when Lucifer fell. So this demon's like, used to live with Jesus, right? I know Jesus. I've heard of Paul. I don't know who you are, right? Who the heck are you? So at that point, um, these guys probably get pretty scared. And we see that when one uses Jesus's name without having a relationship with them, it opens up the door to be attacked. Now, now here's what I mean by that. In the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, Jesus even says that there will be people that command demons and cast out demons, but because they don't have a relationship with him, they're not gonna go to heaven. Jesus says that, that you're gonna cast out demons in my name, but we don't have a relationship, right? I don't know you is what Jesus says. We also see in the New Testament and the gospel that Jesus says, if you clean out the house, right? But if you don't fill it back up, he's referring to us being filled with his spirit, that if we don't fill ourselves up with the spirit of God, that we're seven times more susceptible to attack. Interesting that there's seven men here being attacked by this demon, but interesting, right? So we see that we must be filled with the Holy Spirit. So here's what happens, right? When a, when a group of guys try to use the name of Jesus, but they're not filled with his spirit, there's this botched exorcism, the demonically possessed man. I love how the Bible phrases it. The Bible phrases it so nice. They were overpowered, right? And prevailed against. They got the snot kicked out of them, right? So this demonically possessed guy starts just going at them, rips off all their clothes, beats them till they're bloody. They run out of this house, streaking down the streets of Ephesus, bloody, right? And so the demon that was in this man obviously knew the capabilities of Christ. He also knew that these men had no relationship with Christ. And so only a fool, as we see, would step up to evil without being filled with good, without the light. But that's what happened. And these men go running bloody naked down the street. And so all the people in Ephesus, right? They're coming out of Starbucks and Target and they're sitting there and they see these guys streaking by. They see these guys streaking by and they're like, whoa, we probably shouldn't use Jesus's name so carelessly now, right? As they see these guys bloody and beaten up. And Luke records now in Ephesus, everyone has taken the name of Jesus pretty seriously after this event. Now, here's the thing. This shouldn't be a new thing to us. I know all of you guys have all 10 commandments memorized, but let me refresh you. That was my passive aggressiveness again, I'm sorry. Anyways, the second commandment is that we are to not use the Lord's name in vain. This is serious. That means that when, man, I was working on my old car the other day and hit my bumper and busted the end of my finger open, old car, and it's got a big metal bumper. My wife's next to me, and I say weird things when I hurt myself. In order not to swear, I say things like, ah, cupcake, and I'm like running around my yard, like blood all over the place. But it's interesting. I used to have a bad habit if I would do something like that, and I'd say, ah, Jesus Christ. That like makes my skin crawl now. 
that we are not to use that name carelessly, that we're not to throw that name. There is great respect with con- that comes with the only name that saves under heaven and earth. And we should use that very, very cautiously, very cautiously. It is, it is in fact the second commandment, not to use that name in vain. So here's what happens. This is, I, I find this so fascinating. So there was a bunch of people in Ephesus that were already Christians. This whole thing happened with this demon-possessed man. And they were like, hey, we have some things to confess. We have also dabbled in magic. We have also dabbled in the occult. So they started to repent of that. And so I had a, I had a man ask me, and he wasn't being a jerk or anything. He was genuinely asking me a couple of weeks ago that I often say that we need to continually repent. And he said, well, why do you say that? And I said, because we continually make mistakes, Right? And so in this moment, we see that Christians realized that they had made a mistake and they were already Christians, but they said, we need to repent for this. We are sorry, we confess this and we're gonna do something about it. So let me ask you if you're a Christian in this room, when's the last time you stepped back and evaluated what you read, what you listen to, what you watch, what influences you? When's the last time you did that? Uh, maybe, Maybe during the fast, I do it every year during the fast. I remember when I first became a Christian, I used to have the CD collection to, to end all CD collections. I know no one buys CDs anymore. And now I have records to end all record collections. I have all this stuff, right? And when I first became a Christian, I, I have them in alphabetical order too because I'm a weirdo like that. I remember just becoming a Christian and going to the S section and I had all the Slayer records, right? And I'm like, I'm a, if you don't know Slayer, like, okay. Anyways, went to the S section of my CDs, and I'm like, hey, I I love Jesus now. I probably shouldn't listen to this music that has big pentagrams on the cover, right? So I had to get rid of those things. I had to evaluate and say, I probably shouldn't be feeding myself this, right? And had to move on from some of that stuff. Now, that's something that I continually do in my life. I step back and say, is this good for my soul? Okay, this probably isn't. I should remove myself from that. But we need to continually do that. Now, these people took it to a whole new level, right? It was book burning time. They didn't just confess that they had dabbled in things that they shouldn't have. They took all of their evil books, all of their evil literature, piled them up in the street, doused them, right? Lit those suckers on fire. Well, Corey, I paid a lot of money for those. It was the equivalent of 137 years of a full-time salary. And they put it in the streets, 50,000 pieces of silver, right? They put it into the streets and they burned it. Now it's in hot pink, so you know it's coming. Here's why this is important. Not only did they recognize that they had dabbled in something that was evil, this is important, once they realized they had done it, they got rid of it. It wasn't just enough to acknowledge, I probably shouldn't listen to Slayer, right? And if they're watching this somehow, I, I, I I hope they come to a saving knowledge of Christ, but whatever. It's not that I, that I, not only should I not listen to this, I don't need this in my home, right? I don't need this around my kids. I don't need this being introduced into my mind because Jesus said what comes in through the eyes contaminates the entire soul. And I think that goes with, the, with, with ears too. I think it was Aristotle that said the walls of the city can crumble based on the kind of music that people listen to. Aristotle said that thousands of years ago, right? That those things are important and we need to be careful with those things. And so this was not mandated by the church, though. Guys, I'm not going to have you, you know, I'm not going to like, hey, send me your Harry Potter books. We're going to burn them in the parking lot. I'm not going to do that to you. Don't worry, right? (laughs) 
<laughs> we're not going to break all of our Beatles records and, you know, like, we're not going to do any of that. You old people in the room, yeah. <laughs> so this book burning thing wasn't mandated by the church. What happened was this, they felt personal conviction. They realized that they were partaking in something that was hindering them from being closer to Jesus. And they said, well, I don't feel good about this. I'm going to get rid of it. Paul didn't stand up and give them a comprehensive list. Okay, if you guys are listening to these bands, we're, I'll meet you in the parking lot, right? If you guys are watching these movies, you better bring those DVDs, right? If you're reading these books, he didn't do that because we don't need to be motivated by legalism. And so a separation from sin, a separation from things that don't align with God's will, that should be a personal and normal response for the Christian. That has to be something that God convicts you of, okay? And he needs to speak to you about it. Now, here's the last point on this. Ephesus was, was called the kingdom of Diana. <laughs> I hope you guys find this interesting. So in Ephesus, they had a world-famous temple to a god named Artemis who is also named Diana. People would come from all over the world and they would worship at this place. Ephesus would have been the equivalent of like a Salem, Massachusetts, a hotbed of spiritual activity, but of a very negative spiritual activity. This would have been one of the darkest corners of planet Earth at this time. Lots of occult stuff, lots of evil practices and magic and witchcraft, a lot of bad stuff, which means it would have been a hotbed for demonic possession, a hotbed for, for demonic oppression on people. It would have been a very dark corner. Now, here's what's fascinating about that. This is also the area where one of the most influential and important churches that has ever existed took root. The light went into the darkest city imaginable. And not only did it take root, lots of people came to a saving knowledge of Christ. And we still study the book of Ephesians today. We still research and see what Paul wrote to this extremely important church. Look what they did. They had a tremendous impact on the world in an extremely dark environment. Now, I'm going to come back to that, okay? The first point I want to make is this. We need to address the things in our lives, and I can't do this for you. This needs to be between you and the Lord. Now, granted, guys, there are certain things that I, I, I think you have a really hard time arguing to me that certain things should be permissible, right? Well, Corey, I'm just not convicted by porn. Uh, you should be, right? All you women are like, that's right, get those guys. You ladies just read Fifty Shades of Grey. You just read the transcript of porn. You ever read excerpts from that? I hope you haven't. It's awful. When it first came out, I read it and I'm like, oh, I looked at porn before and this is just looking at porn and writing it down essentially. And how many women point the finger at men and say, oh, well, you guys got a real problem. Okay. It's interesting. There are some things that I don't even think are up for debate. But when it comes to you looking at personal things in your life, you need to have such a relationship with God to where you don't separate yourselves from evil because of legalism. Not because I give you a list of things you should and shouldn't do. That's not what my job is. And not out of fear tactics. We don't separate ourselves from evil things because I'm just worried about going to hell. Listen, I don't stay away from other women just because I'm worried about my wife divorcing me. I stay away from other women because I love my wife. 
I don't stay away from things antithetical to Jesus because I'm just worried about burning in hell for eternity. I love Jesus and I want to live a life that honors Jesus, right? So that's why we do that. So we have to ask ourselves this question. And guys, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or awful or any of that because it's kind of a tough question. Do we love Jesus enough to divorce ourselves from, from things that either flirt with things that are evil or man, some things we have full on embrace evil. Do we love Jesus enough? And guys, I know this sounds so stupid, but for some of you, you, you understand the tension I'm talking about. If your favorite band in the whole world has some stuff that you're like, man, I'm feeling like I shouldn't listen to this anymore. It's hard to get rid of that stuff. It's hard to stop watching that show or move away from that group of people or whatever God's convicting you of. But I gotta tell you this, if you're going to be everything the Lord wants you to be, you need to pray that God convicts you and then you need to respond to that conviction. And we're gonna have different convictions, guys. Again, I talked about David Bowie a couple of weeks ago. Some of you were probably just like, oh, dear God, he listens to David Bowie, right? You know, and you freaked out and everything else. And, and that's fine, he doesn't, it doesn't convict me to listen to David Bowie. But if it convicts you, you need to be responsive to that conviction. And there are things you guys do where I'm like, I can't believe you do that, right? But God needs to deal with you on a personal level with those things. Now, here's why I'm even concerned about that. If we're going to invade the darkness, if we're going to invade theoretically or hypothetically the kingdom of Diana, right? The darkest corners of humanity, if we're going to invade the darkness, first we need to know that true believers of Jesus, people who have completely given their heart to God, we are insulated by the Holy Spirit. If we're insulated by the Holy Spirit, we don't need to be isolated from the world. Christianity takes that, that kind of knee-jerk knee reaction all the time. Well, you know, Starbucks CEO says something about this, I'm never going to drink coffee again, right? And so we get kind of crazy about stuff like that and we isolate ourselves from the world. And Jesus didn't say isolate. In fact, Jesus said, I'm gonna send you out like sheep among wolves. Insulate yourselves with the light and then step into the darkness and light it up. That's what we're called to do. But we have to be insulated by the Holy Spirit. And if we're insulated and full of the Holy Spirit, we are given the power and ability to infiltrate even the darkest corners of humanity and introduce the light. There's a church in Las Vegas, Nevada called the Triple X Church. Here's what the Triple X Church does, and some of you have heard of this church before. Every year, the largest porn convention on planet Earth is in Las Vegas. And so what the Triple X Church does is they get a bunch of their money together. It's a pretty good-sized church, but the size of our church. And so they get a bunch of their money together, and they rent the biggest booth possible right in the center of the largest porn convention on planet earth. And what they do is they spend tens of thousands of dollars on these really nice leather bound Bibles. And on the cover of the Bible, it says, Jesus loves porn stars too. And they sit in the middle of a porn convention and they introduce themselves to adult film stars. They introduce themselves to the people that pay all this money to come in and meet adult film stars. And they say, Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Jesus loves you. Some people think that's crazy. And it is crazy if you're not full of the Holy Spirit. It's absolutely insane if you're not full of the Holy Spirit because they are stepping into something that is so depraved and so dark. And you better be extremely full of the Holy Spirit to go in the middle of something as dark as that 
but that's what they felt like God has called them to do. There's a friend of mine who started a church in Nashville years and years and years ago, actually before I started this church. It's, it's gone now. But his sole intention at this church, he planted it right between two strip joints in downtown Nashville, right off I-40. There's the crazy horse and there's some other strip joint right here. And he had this little cinder block building right in between the two of them. The whole church, it was a volunteer-based church. No one got paid. And all the people in the church would bring their money together and they would pull their money together and they would make these gift baskets, these big gift baskets, and they'd put the most expensive perfume money could buy, the most expensive lotions and makeup. They would put the most expensive, uh, uh, any kinds of like bath salts and all these things the woman would just, women would just love, right? It would make them feel so beautiful. They'd put a nice like ledger in there for them and they would put one little card that said your value does not come from what these men think of you out in this audience. Your value comes from God, and we love you, and if you ever need us, let us know. And what they would do is they would prepare these packages, and women from the church got permission from the strip club owners to go to the strip clubs and give these women these care packages. What ended up happening was a bunch of strippers started getting saved. They started going to the church and so my friend eventually had to shut the doors on this church because he was getting death threats from the owners of strip clubs because so many of those girls were quitting their jobs and going to church. Insane? Only if you're not insulated with the Holy Spirit. God has called us to go into unbelievable depravity. We have the potential, if we are full and insulated with the light of Christ, to go into the darkest, most disturbing corners of humanity and bring the light. But if we're going to do that, we better be full and we better be prepared. Because if we go toe-to-toe with Satan and we don't have the Holy Spirit, we will lose every time. If we go toe-to-toe with Satan and we are full of the Holy Spirit, We will win every time, every time. Jesus said, don't be afraid of the world because take heart, I've already overcome the world. We just need to be full of his spirit. Now listen, I don't expect all you guys to go to porn conventions and strip clubs. I don't expect that out of all of you. I'm not necessarily telling you not to do those things either. But here's the thing. There's plenty of darkness in your high school if we haven't seen that recently. There's plenty of darkness at MTSU. There's plenty of darkness at your work. There's plenty of darkness in culture around us. It's everywhere. And though it may not be a porn convention or a strip club, Jesus said, I have given you this knowledge, I have filled you with my spirit to send you out like sheep among the wolves. That's what we're called to do. But we can only be effective if we are full of him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Two things I would like to ask you to consider. The first is I would ask you to consider praying and saying, God, if there is anything in my life that I need to be convicted of, please convict me of it. That's what I would encourage you to do today. That may be people, it may be places you go, it may be things you watch or listen to, a book you read. I can't tell you what those things are. That is between you and the Lord. 
and your convictions may look different than your neighbor's convictions, okay? But you, I would encourage you to ask, God, show me things in my life that I need to step away from. The second thing that I would ask of you to consider is if you have asked God to identify and help you remove the dark things in your life, I would ask you to consider to to have him fill you with his Holy Spirit. God, just fill me up. Lord, I'm not afraid of the gifts of the Spirit. I'm not afraid of displaying the fruit of your Spirit. I'm not afraid of the darkness. But God, I got to be full of your light. I got to be full of your Holy Spirit. And if you will ask him that, if you'll be genuine about that, if you will separate yourself from the dark things that, that, that are influencing you, God will empower you. He will insulate you with the Holy Spirit. Not so you can be isolated from the world, but you can be insulated and go out into the world and make a difference. As your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, there's communion all the way around you. Represents the body and blood of Jesus that died and rose again and has poured out his Holy Spirit so we could be his advocates on earth. It's, the communion is all the way around you and everyone's welcome to take that as long as you've asked Jesus to forgive you. There's also men and women up here at the front if you need prayer for anything. Anything you need prayer for, let these people pray for you. Don't be embarrassed or ashamed. It's what we do. We hold each other up. We lift each other up. We pray for each other. Lord Jesus, God, we love you. We thank you. God, for every believer in this room, Lord, let us just trust you. Lord, let us be honest. Lord, let us evaluate ourselves. God, Lord, let us let you evaluate us and show us things in our life that may need to look differently or change or that we need to get rid of. God, we also pray that you fill us up with your Holy Spirit. Fill us up, God, insulate us so we can go out into whatever dark corner of the world that you have led us to go to and that we can bring in the light, we can bring in the truth, we can bring in love and mercy and hope. Lord Jesus, for every non-believer in this room, I just pray that they keep an open mind I pray that they keep digging and exploring and looking and just being objective, God. And if they do, I believe you'll show them the truth. Lord, we love you. I thank you. I thank you so much for this church, God. Wonderful people, Lord, that love you and care about you, God. Lord, let us go out and be a light for our city, for our families, for our schools, for our jobs. We pray all this in Jesus' name, God. Amen. I love you guys so much. You're welcome to help yourself. Thank you guys so much.